And he asked me about speaking, and was it stewardship or forgiveness? And, and he said, John, really, I want you to talk about forgiveness. Before we moved to Texas, we were members of a Trinity Presbyterian Church in Starkville, Mississippi. Starkville is snuggled up next to Mississippi State University, and Trinity was a... Wait a minute, I'm, 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 I'm missing here, missing something. The prayer partner. Anybody in the congregation who has been a Stephen minister or who has wanted to be a Stephen minister or is a current Stephen minister, I want to appoint you as my prayer partner today. And your function today in that capacity is to pray for me as I do this talk and pray that it's clear and coherent. And if I happen to fall over, pray me back. So now that I've gotten turned on and the prayer partners organized, I'll, I'll go on. So we were members of Trinity Presbyterian Church. And at Trinity, I, I should say I grew up in a community church. My father was the pastor of a community church. And I cannot say that we did the Apostles' Creed in the church when I grew up very often. I mean, I was aware of that, but it's something that, that we just didn't do very often. But we were in members of Trinity Presbyterian Church, and, and they did the Apostles' Creed pretty regularly, maybe once a month, could have been once a quarter, but, but it was something that was regularly part of the worship. And I'm not one that, at that point in my life, or maybe even now, to to go with a, a creed, especially something as complicated as the Apostles' Creed, something that you can speak in two or three breaths, and it is, it is a lot of stuff and a lot of words, and you can almost mumble it. I mean, if you do it often enough, it, it, it just go through the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. And, and of course, there are some things in the Apostles' Creed that I'm, you know, kind of <clears throat> unsure about. The, uh, the, you know, the virgin birth, the resurrection of the body, that kind of stuff. I, I just really not all that, that comfortable with that, with those ideas. And, and so I was, I was and as a member of, of Trinity Presbyterian Church, I didn't say the Apostles' Creed when it came. I was kind of sanctimonious myself. And I looked around the room one day, and, and I caught Jim's eye. And Jim taught architecture at Mississippi State. He was an associate dean, and he wasn't saying the Apostles' Creed either. So afterwards, we kind of hooked up, and, and you know, I'm just I'm not comfortable with that kind of repetition and, and, and some of the ideas there. And so I, I didn't do that. And... You know, at that time, in, in my life anyway, and, and, and at, at Trinity Presbyterian Church, we were, we were very welcome there. We were 
Uh, I mean, I have a PhD degree. My wife was working on a PhD degree. Most of the people in the congregation had at least one PhD degree in their household, and this was an academic, university-oriented thinking congregation. Very, very much so. They were active in the community, but it was, it was university-related and, and thinking. So, in the scripture this morning, Jesus crosses to his hometown. He, come, he comes to his hometown. And he encounters this person, a uh, crippled person. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus asks him to get up and, and go home. Get up. Now, first of all, Jesus is in his hometown. <laughs> and who's an expert in your hometown? I mean, you, you just, just, just not, that doesn't happen very often. And, and Jesus says, get up, your, your sins are forgiven. So the man gets up and, and he goes home. And in the second part of the scripture this morning, Jesus walks by Matthew, a tax collector. And Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, come and follow me. Now look around the room and we see here the disciples. And, and who is it that Jesus really called? that Jesus asked to be his disciples, a tax collector. And, of course, the organized church says, what do you mean, a tax collector? You know, that's almost as bad as a Democrat. How can you possibly do that? These sinners are becoming active in the church. What does that mean? And we see them here today, all around the room, and these pictures that we have, we read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew with the commandments to love, and we see these sinners. And Jesus talks about the forgiveness of sin. So, I left Mississippi, came to Texas, and stumbled into Northwest Hills United Methodist Church where Larry Altman was the pastor. And many of you remember Larry Altman. Larry's very open, very kind, very friendly, a, a really good, welcoming pastor. And we been to visited the Presbyterians a couple of times and nobody talked to us. <laughs> so, you know, that was not the... And we also went to the Baptists and... That, so we didn't do that anymore. But the, the, the Larry was very open, very welcoming, and, and, we, and we joined. My kids, myself, my, my, my wife, my now ex. Anyway, we joined very quickly. And I'm... Larry 
you know, I didn't know much about the Methodist Church. My dad didn't like the Methodist Church. My dad really didn't like the Methodist Church. And so I, I asked Larry about being a, learning more about the, the Methodist Church. And he said that, well, we have this kind of retreat. And it's called a walk to Emmaus. So after procrastinating a couple of times, I went on walk number 29 to San Benito, Texas. And that's where I had the honor and privilege of meeting Monty Marshall, Bill Henderson, and lots of other really interesting people, but, 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 but particularly. So I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in the church. I grew up thinking that the sanctuary was God's house when I was, when I was little, and then that God was somewhere out there. And, of course, I participated in Sunday school. And along about when I'm, I don't know, 12 or 13 or... Anyway, I was old enough to... Anyway, this well-meaning Sunday school teacher talked about God knows all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, everything. And I thought to myself, if God knows all of my thoughts, I'm toast. There's no way. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way that I can get out of this. I mean, here I am, an adolescent boy, and and God knows my thoughts. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So, of course, you go to school, you go to school, you go to school. On this walk to Emmaus number 29, there's a series of talks and communion and prayers and relationships and and a spiritual experience that happens. And and for me, this spiritual experience happened over a a period of time, and, and I can't remember the exact spot or time or place, but it 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 was I was aware God was not over the rainbow somewhere God was alive in my heart Jesus was alive in my heart and that I was okay I just got it wrong about those thoughts and feelings and 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 that stuff I just got that love part wrong that I was okay So I came away from there and continued on with my life. And a couple of years later, when I really got sober, I participated in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and if, you, if you're looking for, looking at a way of relating, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are, are really neat. You start, I'm powerless. My life is unmanageable. I believe in a higher power of my understanding, of your understanding. Not a higher power of the United Methodist Church or the Catholic Church or whomever. A higher power of my understanding. What does that mean in my life? And a a way to turn my will and my life over to the care of that higher power. And then the steps of cleaning it up. 
looking inside at a searching and fearless moral inventory, looking inside at what is what is really inside, and then making amends to to make a list of the people you've harmed, became willing to make amends to them all. So the twelve steps, actually the cleaning up the willingness. That's pretty hard work. <laughs> you read the scripture and Jesus talks to the man and he he gets up and he takes his mat and goes home. Your sins are forgiven. Well, uh, I don't know anybody that's happened that way, but, but still, the, it's, it's really hard work when you, when you get right, right straight down. It was hard work for me, anyway, to, to get down to that. In the scripture, Jesus tells the man to get up take your mat and go home. And this is a man who has not gotten up. A man who has been down. Now why is he down? Sins? What are the, is it, is it uh, paralysis? Polio victim? Something like that? Or is it guilt? Fear? Anger? Rage? Those kind of things that sap the energy from us? Keep us from relationships with each other? With relationships with God. So Jesus asks this man, tells him his sins are first given, he asks him to get up and go home. So when you get up, you look in a different way. You have a different perspective. Your eyes are up. You're looking at people in their faces, not their feet. And if you've been paralyzed on your, on your back, on your stomach, whatever, you look at their feet. You look at feet. When you're forgiven, when you get up and move, you look in a different way. A different way. I've often thought when we bow our heads to pray, that really is not what we ought to do. We ought to look up and pray. We ought to look at our neighbors and pray. The person sitting next to us, I pray. Look up. Jesus asks us to look up. Rise. Look up. So, what does forgiveness look like? I think in the Apostles' Creed, if you look at the, the words and the phrases in the Apostles' Creed, you get down to forgiveness. That's me. That's others. That's how I treat myself and others. And if you think about, I mean... I've been thinking about the Apostles' Creed for a while and studying the Apostles' Creed for a while and wondering, what in the world am I going to say that makes any sense here? You get to this part of the Apostles' Creed, the forgiveness of sins, forgiveness for my sins 
forgiveness for others? The relationship. It's the relationship there, not the organization or the structure or the theology or anything. That, that comes to the relationship in the forgiveness of sins. There's a couple of scriptures that, that I really like. In Micah, what does God call of you? To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with our Lord. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Humbly to me means I'm not in charge. <coughs> um, Matthew also talks about the commandments. What are we commanded to do? Love God with all of our energy, with all of our thoughts, with all of our behavior, our feelings. Love God. We're to love ourselves. Treat ourselves well. Keep these relationships open. When we stumble, forgiveness is there. We're to love our neighbors. Again, who are the neighbors? The Democrats, the Tea Party, the guys in the other army, our people next door, our people in our own community. Yesterday, I participated in a Kairos team meeting in, in San Antonio. And, and uh, last week and this month, we'll do a Kairos. I'll go back to Kairos at the Connolly Unit in, in Kennedy, Texas. And this is a maximum security prison. And our neighbors there are seeking forgiveness. They're seeking paths, pathways to a better relationship, better relationship with God, with their neighbors, with their community. And it's really fun to watch that happen, to participate in those kind of activities over a long period of time. Kairos. But there's lots of things we do all the time to carry to serve our to serve our neighbors. Now I mentioned my friend Jim, professor of architecture, associate dean of the School of Architecture at Mississippi State. And Jim wanted a project. And my wife and I had a project. We wanted a different house, you know, kind of a unique house. Uh, a, a very unique and special house. Jim wanted a house to design, and 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 you know, in our, in our mind, we had a, a a very special house that would be would be would be part of part of the community. And I think in Jim's mind, he had the front page of Architectural Digest. You know, so so 
Jim had a had a goal, an agenda. We had a goal and an agenda, and of course he had his friend, the builder. And and we engaged in this relationship, this business relationship, and we got further and further and further into it, and it got worse and worse and worse. It was a it was a disaster. The year was 1981. We had rampant inflation, rampant interest rates. <clears throat> the contractor knew how to put things together, but to keep the business stuff together, it just didn't, it, didn't, it, was, it was a disaster. And I was a raving lunatic, just absolutely angry. We went to court, we got lawyers, you know, ah, it, was, it, was, it was awful, just an awful relationship. So we finally, members of our church, mediated some settlement, and and uh, and, uh, and 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 we settled. But I was still very angry, very very angry. So after working the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the process of looking at people I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. It, it, I, I thought about Jim. I thought about Jim. I thought about Jim. And I thought, what do I need to do here? So he moved on to another university by then, and, and he was the dean, actually, of that, of that university. So I just wrote a letter, and I laid out my part in this. I wanted a special house. I wanted it way under budget and really, really special. I was, I was greedy and selfish is really what it amounts to. Greedy and selfish. And I, and I wrote that to Jim and said, I'm sorry for the anguish that we caused you in your life. And I didn't know what would happen, have, didn't have a clue. So about two weeks later in the mail comes this letter. I open it up, and there's a handwritten note. It says, all is forgiven. Love, Jim. Early, I talked about the hook. George baited me and got me with a hook to speak today. So, for you, in TV land and here, are there areas where forgiveness is important? Is God calling you to forgive? In the Apostles' Creed, it's a very ancient text, and it summarizes in very few words the basic foundation, fundamental beliefs that we hold as Christians. I don't mumble through the Apostles' Creed anymore. I don't sit there with my mouth shut, feeling arrogant. 
it's just part of what we believe and a foundation, a very firm foundation for keeping it, it pretty simple. So we go to the forgiveness of sins available for us all. Amen.